0: welcome to the sample chapter podcast the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books here's your host jason a mysky hello my friends welcome to episode 231 of the sample chapter podcast jason here and oh my gosh i have a i have a really fun author for you this week i'm talking with urban fantasy award-winning author Dennis K. Crosby and I, I, I gotta say you know Dennis is uh, everything and more than I than I thought I'd been kind of following his career for the last couple of years since his first book came out Death's Legacy and uh yeah he was just a lot of fun to talk to in this interview you're going to be hearing us talking about writers groups the importance of celebrations uh, how he used his background as a private investigator in his writing and, uh, oh my gosh, I love his story on how he romanticized his Hollywood idea for becoming a private investigator and bartender out in California. can't wait for you to hear that story. It's awesome. Um, and capturing those moments of authenticity. Oh, we also talk uh, for all you cigar and bourbon lovers out there. We're going to do a little talking about that, uh, because as you know, I love a good cigar. We can have a little deep dive into some of that. <laughs> so. All that and so much more coming up here in just a few moments. No insight into me this week. I want to uh, keep this short and sweet. I wanted to make sure and highlight Planet Comic Con's coming up this weekend in Kansas City. March 17th, 18th, and 19th. And uh, you, know, you can go get your tickets now. Uh, there's uh, My friends with the Pop Goes a Culture podcast are going to be there. They're actually going to be on stage quite a bit uh, doing handling a lot of the celebrity interviews and so on and uh, there's a another one of the podcasters from the network cullen bunn is one of the celebrity uh, writers and and artists that's going to be on hand so you make sure you can go go by there and see cullen and uh, yeah all of the gang at pop goes to culture and make sure you get over to authors alley and uh, check out all the wonderful authors there including several of them from previous that are previous guests here on the show I know for sure of J.R. Frontera, E.M. Zolotor, Christopher D. Schmitz, and Brian W. Peterson. You want to make sure and go check him out because he's coming up uh, real soon in an upcoming episode of the show. I'm going to be sharing their episodes later this week. So if you do go over there and you say hi, make sure you tell them that you heard their episode on the Sample Chapter podcast. And uh, if I don't make it, tell them I said hi. Hey, meanwhile, I want to make sure to invite you to uh, go check out also the links in the show notes for Writer's Block Coffee. They have three delicious flavors of coffee. You can order it one time or you can set it up on automatic shipping, have it sent right to your home so you never run out. Fantastic stuff. And they're an affiliate of the show, which means anything that you buy from them gives a little something back to the show and helps out any of our costs. So make sure you go and check that out link is in the show notes, and if you just want to go on over to Writer's Block Coffee, use coupon code SAMPLECHAPTER to save 10%. All right, well, that's all I've got for you this week. I'm going to go ahead and get us over to the interview with urban fantasy author Dennis K. Crosby. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, this week, this is this is a lot of fun for me. I've already been having a great time prior to hitting that record button with today's guest. We are talking with urban fantasy author Dennis K. Crosby. He is an award-winning author, a Cubs fan, bourbon lover, cigar and pizza connoisseur, and former private investigator. From San Diego, California, ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show Dennis K. Crosby. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, better than I deserve. How you doing? <laughs> Feels that way sometimes.
1: <laughs> I have those mornings, too. I wake up, I'm like, huh, all right, so another day of sunshine and blue skies, and all right, I guess we're doing this again. Oh, well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of days last year where I woke up and was like, oh, still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Really great to be here, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I, I'm so glad to get you on here. It's uh, been following you for a while. Thanks to our mutual friends and friends of the show, the semi sages of the pages podcast, uh, the ladies over there are great. And they're, I know they're big fans of you as well. They talk you up a lot and uh, I think they even do some events with you once in a while. Don't they?
1: Yeah. Well, they allow me to do events with them. I mean, they are all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, um, We've gone back, we go back a few years, actually. We So out in San Diego, um, and I say out in San Diego because I'm right now, I'm, I just got into Chicago. So I'm in Chicago back home for the weekend. Um, but back in back home, back home, I, I got to figure out which one I am. Am I home home or am I home? <laughs> um, so in San Diego, we have a group called the Writer's Coffee House. And um, basically a group of writers who get together um, is facilitated by uh, Jonathan Mayberry. And... We get together the first sunday of every month and we just talk about writing first you know a couple hours we talk about business and the craft um and then we just kind of get into different questions that people have but i met um teresa halverson and sarah Faxon there and we've just become really good friends over the years um they've now in addition to semi they've got their own um, publishing company now um no bad books press Mm-hmm. And the uh, great fortune of being a part of a couple of their anthologies. In fact, there's another anthology coming out just in a couple of weeks um, that I'm a part of as well. And so, yeah, we get together for events. We've done um, a couple of festivals. We did WonderCon together last year. Um, they are just phenomenal um, writers, uh, businesswomen. I mean, everything they do is is just is great. It's really a pleasure working with them. I'm so happy like, they like me. <laughs> they <do it. laughs> we have so much in common. It's just really fun when we all get together. So yeah, they're, they're awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic. And I've, I've been privileged to have a, uh, have a few of them on this show to read from their books and uh, to kind of communicate with them, keep up with them a little bit in the background and uh, follow their careers. And, and like I said, that's how I came to know you because they were talking you up and sharing your first book when it came out. And uh, I was telling you off offline here, how, uh, like the one of the first pictures I saw of you was on there and it was just a little photo. I think you did from your phone of the back of your laptop. You got a little glass of whiskey and a c- celebratory cigar. And I was like, that's my kind of guy right there. It's like, that's, that's right. I need to know this guy and follow his career and see what's going on. And so I've been kind of scoping you out in the, from, uh, from a distance for a while now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I am all about celebrating successes. You know, I, uh, You mentioned I was a former private investigator. I'm also now in the last last 14 years or so, I've worked in social service. So I work with um, adult men and women with mental health challenges and addiction issues, um, some that are chronically homeless. And part of the things that I work on with them, you know, are obviously developing good habits. And I say, you know, every time you get something that makes you feel good, something that's positive and moving you forward, you know, take the time to celebrate that. And I, I believe that for everything, especially when it comes to writing, because it's hard, (laughs) you know, it is, it can like be soul sucking sometimes. And, um, I hate, I hate the process of writing, but I love having just written. And so once that's done and I feel great, I'm like, I'm celebrating. And, uh, yeah, my typical celebration is a little writer's tears, whiskey, Um, and if I can't smoke in my apartment, but I have a a cigar lounge I go to in San Diego. So I'll, I'll have a little drink and, or I'll go to the cigar lounge and uh, have a drink and a a cigar there.
0: Nice. Nice. So as a cigar man myself, I got to ask, what is your go-to celebratory cigar?
1: So I am... I mean, I'm still a novice when it comes to cigars. My brother is the one that got me into it. And that, that's a guy you want to talk to. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's not a writer, but he loves cigars. And um, so he got me involved in that. And I typically go for the ones that have a little flavor to them. Mm-hmm. And so like for the last year or so, my favorites have been um, these infused macanudos. They've got um, like a coffee flavor, got an espresso, um, and it's just got a little sweetness to it um, in, the, yes. in the wrapper. Yes. And it it just it helps kind of with with the draw and and eases me into the day so I can usually have some of that. Like when I go, it's usually like on a Sunday when football's on mm-hmm. and being on the West Coast. The great thing about being on the West Coast is that football starts at like 10 a.m. Right, so right. as opposed to the Midwest or East Coast, when games don't end until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, you know, we're done at like seven, eight. And we got like, you know, still a few hours in the evening. So I can go in the morning, watch a game, I'll get a little coffee, have a little Bailey's in there. um and then I would get a, a a coffee infused macanudo and um I'd be good for a couple hours.
0: nice, nice. yeah, yeah i I love those coffee infused ones. I've got a couple of Drew estate Javas and yeah, uh, Javas.
1: that's what I started smoking. Um, yeah. that's what my brother got me into initially.
0: Yep. The uh, Rocky Patel, I think, has a couple that I really enjoy. Uh, My wife got me into the uh, chow, some of the chow flavors. They got like, oh, okay. I think moon trance, uh, not not coffee, but they have some some gentle flavored ones. uh, But they're they're chow. I think it's called. There's like a moon trance and another one that she really enjoyed. Uh, One, I think there was one that was like a vanilla and that was nice as well. Um, Check that out. Yeah, those are those are great, and it's kind of the same thing. I can smoke in the house, but I get frowned upon. So my my <laughs> so my studio and office is in the garage. Uh, but I made a promise last year. I was in a, in the process of getting healthy prior to a knee replacement, and then months after that, I had to keep stick to that promise of okay, I won't. I will wait and celebrate something with a cigar. So other than my 25th anniversary last year, I didn't get to celebrate anything until um oh gosh until like i think christmas this year and here lately with the chiefs win the super bowl i got to have one my anniversary came oh, up again there, yeah, yeah oh. so I, i've had a i've had a couple of cigars recently and nice. uh oh well i guess in october i did have a uh i had a short story came out so i got to have a, a celebratory cigar then very cool but otherwise i have just been stockpiling some of my uh, cigars coming in I'm like oh yeah i need to get a couple of those
1: yeah, I need to I need to refurbish my stock. Um, I got a, a humidor at home. My my brother bought me one for my birthday a few years ago, and um, it's running low. So I need to pick a few up and just kind of keep that stock. I, I do smoke sometimes with my my cousin. Um, he also lives in San Diego, so I'll pop over to his place every once in a while. He's got a nice little setup outside, so oh, uh, we just nice. sit outside, watch TV. Um, you know, it's it's really cool.
0: That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. We, uh, we did a cruise last year. Uh, fans of the show will know about that. Cause I, I sent up, put up some pictures about it. And, uh, that was nice to sit on the beach in the Caribbean and have a Cuban and a little drink. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is, we had crystal clear waters and it was yeah. the, the softest sand I've ever been on in my life. And I was like, oh man, just, just leave me here. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to stay here. <clears throat> not about the
1: same thing. I went to the Dominican Republic. Um, my brother turned 50 in 2018 and he wanted a destination trip. So we went to Punta Cana and um, we took a tour of um, Don, Don, Don Julio. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it was. I'm getting the name wrong. But um, we took a tour of a cigar factory. They also have um, rum. They sell, they make cigars on one part of this uh, property. And then you walk through, get a tour, and then they make rum also. And so we um, picked up some cigars from their humidor and sampled some rum. It was just phenomenal. It was a great day. Uh, uh, but uh-huh. yeah, just being able to like smoke cigars down there and, and just chill and relax is like Maybe I can miss my flight home. Maybe. <laughs> <you know. laughs>
0: yeah. Maybe Ian Fleming had it right. You
1: know? <laughs> my mother's been telling me for years, she goes, you should maybe think about leaving the U S and just maybe, you know, move to Cuba or somewhere in the Caribbean and just right there, you know, the cost of living's low and you could really, you could really do well. I'm like, I'm, you know, it, the temptation is there. <laughs> <Sometimes> <laughs> it's, it's really there.
0: You know, I think that's what, uh, Oh man, I'm I'm forgetting his name now. Uh, the originator of 50, 50 books, or what was it uh, twenty to fifty k? Um, oh yeah, yeah. those guys. That was their original plan. Was uh, he was like, yeah, you know, if I write this much, I'll make fifty thousand a year, and that'll cover my costs. That so I can move my family to the Caribbean with low cost of living, and I can just survive on my books. And to my knowledge, he still has never moved, but he's making a whole lot more than fifty k
1: no doubt no doubt i've got to get to that event too like I mean, the last couple of years i've been meaning to go and um i just haven't been able to make it i think this should actually try to try to go
0: i would like uh, to i would like to they always do that in november and that's a that's yeah. a busy month for me
1: yeah and it's in vegas it could be dangerous just <laughs> itself, but you know
0: yeah exactly
1: what's life a little danger
0: <laughs> well, you, I, it, I take it you know a little bit about that with your past history. You got a degree in law. You were a private investigator. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how the, how it transitioned into being a writer.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I um, I grew up in the Chicago area. I grew up in a town called Oak Park, Illinois, um, just west of the city. It actually borders um, Chicago. And when I was like a teenager, 13, 14, I decided I wanted to be a cop. That was like my, my main goal in life, and I really kind of pushed myself toward that. When I got to college, I majored in criminal justice, know, I had a whole plan that I was going to be a cop. Uh, I was going to transition from there, and after like four or five years, move to the federal government and do 20 and then retire, and I was going to move to California, open a bar, and become a PI, and work out of the office above my bar. I had a whole Hollywoodized, romanticized version of how life was going to go. Um, none of that happened except the high business and moving to California. Um, I actually came across an ad in a paper. I was working in retail, actually, working for Home Depot for, um, I think it was my fifth or sixth year working at Home Depot. And I just graduated college with my degree. And I could have had a very comfortable life, you know, in retail. I was doing really well at the stores and 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 like moving up really well. Um, but I decided, you know, I'd spent all that time and money invested in my education, and I wanted to to take a chance and and try to use that criminal justice degree. And so I actually just stumbled across an ad for um, a PI company that was local, mm. and um, I interviewed with them. Um, I didn't get hired right away. They were they were they were ramping up, um, you know, some of their staffing, and they said they were going to call me later in the year. I interviewed with them in September, and they said they're going to call me later in the year. And I'm thinking I'll never hear from these people again. It just won't happen. Um, and sure enough, Christmas Eve, I got a call and said, "Hey, you still interested?" And I'm like, "Yeah, for sure." <laughs> um, and so I ended up coming on board with them a couple years later, and that was uh, 2002 uh, February, 2002. Um, and I worked there for about six, six and a half years and it was, it's, it was fun. You know, the bulk of the work was, um, work comp fraud, you know, it's, a lot of people think you, you become a PI and you get that, 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 that kind of connotation that we're sneaking around in the bushes and we're you know trying to catch cheating spouses and, you know, <laughs> television certainly didn't do a good job in our profession. Um, but it was a lot of you know uh, vehicle surveillance um, and, and checking out people who were claiming to be injured and not going to work, but you know they were doing multiple other things um, that did not stop them from from shouldn't stop them from working. Um, so that was that was the bulk of the work. and it was it was fun. I did a lot of traveling. Um I've been throughout the state of Illinois, throughout the Midwest, really. Um, just a lot of small towns. Um just trying to catch people, you know, doing things that they claim they cannot do. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like I said, it was fun for a bit. And at toward the end of the of the run there, I, I was getting a little antsy, a little bored. Um, because it felt like I was doing the same thing, you know, every day. Yeah. And I needed some change to it. And so I decided to pursue a master's degree in forensic psychology. And the purpose of that at the time was so that it would make me a stronger investigator. I wanted to specialize in deception detection. So that includes like learning how to polygraph. um There's an art called uh, statement analysis, where you have a um, you have somebody, a suspect, kind of write out a statement about their day, and you can analyze the statement to determine where they're being deceptive, and use that as a way to enhance the um, uh, the interviews that you do with them to try to find out, you know if they're involved in a crime or not. Uh, really fascinating art. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of specialize in some of those things, micro-expressions, you know, trying to see if, you know, those those little bitty ticks that people have to let you know that maybe they're being deceptive in certain moments. And so the, with the degree, I wanted to kind of capture all of that and be able to not only enhance my own skills, but eventually try to offer a new service through the company I was working with. And as I kept going into my studies, um, I realized that I really would like to get a little more experience in mental health. And so I took a break from being a PI, and I pursued a job in uh, the mental health field just to apply my studies a little bit more. And, man, once I got into that, um, I, I just kind of fell in love with that, that, that business. And so I've been doing that now for the last uh, 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the back end of that, writing has always been a passion of mine, too. And the beauty of the work that I've done in the past with the PI work and and with mental health is that it helps me build characters. Um, I can get into the minds of the character a little bit more. I kind of have a little bit more of um, an understanding of the reasons that they do things. Um, And I've also been a witness to, um, you know, how... Addiction or how mental health challenges can manifest, and so I'm able to write that in with a little bit of authenticity, um, so that I'm true to the character, uh, but also respectful of those that are, you know, kind of going through those things in real life.
0: Yeah, I like that, and that that's always fascinating to me how how often other authors like myself will uh, seems like their their day jobs and their their uh, day to day run seems to help feed their writing oh yeah uh, with with what you're experiencing and and uh like you said the characterization and, and going from there so that's always fascinating to hear that like yep you're not alone
1: definitely i think um you know good writing is the type that when you read it you feel like you're a part of the world. You know, I think every reader agrees with that. When they get lost in the book, they get lost. They feel like they're a character or at least a witness to what's happening, you know, kind of live and in the act. And if you can really capture, um, <clears throat> capture those moments of authenticity in your character, it, it it helps readers relate that much more. You know, even if your plot is the same plot as, you know, star Wars, <laughs> Yeah. Um, if the people believe in your character, they're going to go with it, and they're not going to care, you know. So, it's really it's it's helped me a, a great deal. You know, with, when it comes to like retail, was, you know, I was doing retail sales and PI work. I'm I'm involved in trying to understand people and following people and watching their behaviors. And and mental health, I'm doing the same thing, trying to understand people and and the reasons that they do things and the reasons why things happen. Um, and so it really helps me kind of lay out a character um their, their biography in a sense and i can kind of um hit on those marks that that make sense and it's not just a hollywood version you know it's not just what you see on tv or in the movies um it's real it's it's something that 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 is true and i've had a few people that have read um read my books and they've they've commented on how my character really feels authentic um, I'm a guy, obviously, and I write <laughs> about a a female. My main character is female. Um, she's female. She's white, and she's a, a member of the LGBT community. You know, so I am I'm none of those things, and yet I write the character in a way that is true and honest, and people can see that in 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 her adventures
0: that's awesome that's awesome my uh my own first book was my main character was a teenage girl which i'm clearly not Uh, (laughs) but fortunately i've got uh i I have my wife and then at the time my girls were uh, teenagers so Mm -hmm. i got to do a lot of questioning and and helping them having them help inform me like is this something they would do and i got a lot of a lot of head head shaking like no no it's not you know, what who told you that we think like that <laughs> that's, that's the key too is,
1: is actually you know i think some of the newer writers they forget you know if you're going to write about something that you're not really familiar with go to the people that that know it you know ask yeah. them questions don't be afraid to do that they would appreciate it even more because they want to make sure that you're representing who they are correctly
0: yep and you know <laughs> What was funny about that too was I did so once I really got into the character and I had a whole lot of background stuff and other side information. That's exactly what it all became because it got cut out later on because it didn't mm-hmm. move the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I spent so much time and I was like, oh yeah, this is great, and thank goodness I had my writing club then uh, that I was going to and and they're reading it and they're like, well, this is great, but like, what does this have to do? Like, this has nothing to do with the story. Like, well, you're yeah. just talking about. You know, here's her day. Yeah, and I was like, well, yeah, I got a little bit of information here, and like, yeah, but you could put that somewhere else, and that was vital for me to learn. Absolutely. Um, but they Absolutely. also pointed out, like, yeah, but you know, you're, you're writing stuff that you need to know about the character, but the reader doesn't exactly need to know some of that now. It's going to come through in your writing, is what I found out. And yeah, it's amazing how that happens.
1: It is. It is, and it. it you can you can certainly put those pieces in that kind of seem mundane as long as it moves the character arc. Um, mm-hmm. The tricky part is just knowing where to do it. You know, I had a couple of those issues too in my first draft, and I had an editor look over and she goes, "You know, why are you putting this here? This doesn't really matter." She goes, "In fact, you know, either you don't need it at all, or you can kind of you can even cut it up and intersperse it throughout the novel, you know, in a very creative way." Yeah. Um, because it, it does kind of inform who the character is, but even without it, you'd be all right. And I'm like, okay. So I cut some of it, and then some of the rest, I just kind of interspersed throughout. But, um, yeah, it, it's good to have those eyes on it. So just kind of give you a little feedback and and let you know you know whether or not it really works there or doesn't work at all.
0: Yep. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was when you know, I learned it was cliche and bad to do to have your character look in the mirror. So you can describe <laughs> them to the reader. <laughs> I was like, nice. "What? You, you don't do that? Like, like, no, no, do not do that."
1: I have uh. um, I'm, there's the eye, eye colors are a big thing in my novels. So my my character is um, in the first novel, she's a reaper, and reapers usher souls to the afterlife, and all reapers have silver eyes, but mm. there are different levels um, within that. Um, that world. So some reapers have silver eyes, most have silver eyes. Um, There's some very special um, group of them that have black eyes. Um, The head reaper has red eyes, you know, and so moving through that, that progression, um, I had to find a way to kind of express that. And, you know, I think I always had her the very first draft. She was always seeing a reflection of herself when her eyes changed. So I could explain that to the reader. <laughs> <laughs> My was like, you know, she's got this power. She probably knows when her eyes change. Maybe you can just kind of find a way to, you know, say that she can feel it. I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I can, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. So given your background, And and this is again, this is another one of those cliché things. Given your background, it's interesting that you went into urban fantasy. Yeah. Uh, Now that's also to say, like the housewife at home who writes horror and whatever. (laughs) It's like you know, wow, how did that happen? You know, it's like, but what what is your background like? Did you have a background is like fantasy and that kind of stuff? Is that like one of your favorite things to read, and that's what drew you into it?
1: It's one of my favorite things in general, just, you know, growing up, um, I watched a ton of Star Trek, like the original series. Um, I've always loved science fiction and fantasy. Um, I was a, I'm a big comic book fan. Um, I love comic book movies You know, Marvel is, you know, I, I'm, I'm so thankful. You talk about, we talked earlier about waking up and being grateful. I'm grateful that I live in the age of, of the Marvel Universe <laughs> because they put my childhood on screen and it's so wonderful to see. Um, but I've always loved that, that world, the world where like magic and and time travel and all these portals and all this stuff is possible. And so that's always been, been within me. Um, so when I started writing originally, I was actually writing like vampire novels because I, I, I'm a big fan of, of that genre, vampires, werewolves, um, which I, for whatever reason, didn't think of as horror until much later in life. Like, for me, it was just, you know, a great story or a, a great movie. I didn't think of it as necessarily scary. Um, as I got older, obviously, I realized that was certainly, um, you know, falls under that horror horror genre. Um, but I, I was, I wanted to write something that was in that world, in that fantastic world, and you know, my character Cassie Simmons, um, she she is in that urban fantasy world. She is also a PI, though. So I, I did put that piece in there. Um, and I am actually going to be starting working on a. I started working on a mystery novel um, that I'm hoping to um, try and and publish um, either later this year, maybe next year. Um, but I, I do want to cross into that genre. Um, I think it's it's about that time for me. I. One of the things that I was really hesitant on was I didn't want to just fall into that, oh, you're a PI, you should write mysteries, because I wanted to make sure that I, I had my writing chops together. You know, doing mysteries, it's very, um, there's very specific kind of, um, I think, for me at least, a very specific way to do it. And I didn't think I was a strong enough writer to really get it right. Um, I was very, very much... A proponent of making sure that i didn't trivialize the pi world I'm, I'm when you are a pi you hear people like i said earlier kind of talk about what they think it means and what you do and i want to make sure that i don't fall into that trap because it's really easy to just kind of get into those those pi tropes mm-hmm. um so i wanted to make sure that my craft was my my craft was strong before i i dipped into that world and i think i'm i'm about there so um the next phase for me, you know is is to try to cross into that mystery mystery genre. I'll still do urban fantasy and horror, of course, but um I do want to tap into that world as well nice yeah.
0: yeah i I was surprised that I started off in kind of a kind of a <laughs> horror book uh, and then went into a little bit of mystery and I realized okay so i i apparently I really like thrillers. I didn't realize it. Yeah. And uh, everything that I've got's got that thriller esque to it, just in a right. different genre. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, but I I do look forward to branching out. Uh, like my current one is is got a sci fi '80s slant to it. Um oh, And nice. I I would love to do a werewolf story. Yeah. Um, had an idea for a uh, a western fantasy that I'm just kind of making some notes on right now. Oh, that would be cool. But uh, yeah, just some different ideas, and it's like, man, I, I'm. I, I got to wait until it's fully there and I can really focus on it before I can go into it For right now. It's just notes in my phone and we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. And, and uh, of course, I'm, exactly. Yeah. And of course, meanwhile I'm trying to just get my next book out and uh, <laughs> keep that consistency going. <laughs>
1: That's the hard part. You know, I, I had a, my first book came out in 2020 that one come out exactly one year later the plan was to do another one, you know, in 2022 at the same time, but I had some trouble writing book three and it took a long time for me to really get, get it together. Mm. Um, I, I kind of fell out of writing. I, I I switched from like novel writing and I did a lot of short stories last year instead, um, which was great. You know, really just, it kept, kept that, that muscle going. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah, you can slip out of that and, and, you have to kind of find you have to fall in love with the long form again. And it took a few months um, in the 2022 for me to really fall in love with it again and um, and kind of just get that together. So I, I finally did. And I got book three in this series done. It'll be out um, in June. Um, and so I'll, I'll do another book, uh, book four to kind of close out this particular arc. And then I want to get into that mystery
0: novel. Fantastic. And- yeah so so let's hear about uh death's legacy the the book that kicked it all off for you award winning i mean oh my gosh outstanding fiction reader's choice reader's favorite reader's favorite again uh lots of accolades i mean you you really knocked it out of the park with this first book so uh, congratulations and uh give us a little bit of uh, information about death's legacy
1: Thank you. I was, I was shocked by all of that. I didn't, um, I didn't expect it. <laughs> um, this, this book initially, so I, I started taking, um, I was doing some writing workshops in San Diego and then I decided to, cause I was bored one day, um, apply to an MFA program through national university. I do really weird things when I'm bored, like, you know, I'll <laughs> go buy a new car um, instead of like going for a walk, um, I ended up at a dealership. Um, so, I, you know, it's it's used, of course, because, you know, I'm in social service. So I don't make a whole lot of cash. <laughs> but um, I, I applied to an, an MFA program and, and I got in. And I, I wanted to use that as an opportunity to strengthen the craft and um, just kind of learn, you know, all the aspects of writing. Also keep myself honest with with my writing and not lag. It's really easy for us as writers to start something and then um, stop for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, figured with this with this program, at least I would stay honest with with that. And so I took a screenwriting workshop, and this book, Death Legacy, um, started out as a as a manuscript, um, a, a, a script rather. And it was it's interesting to write a script. Like script writing is is very challenging, very hard. Um, but I was able to get through it and I liked the story. I liked the story enough to realize that I wanted to expand on it and so I decided to take it and turn it into my my thesis, um, which eventually became the the novel Death Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is essentially about a a young girl who she struggles in life she's she's got a, a lot of trauma in her life she's been teased, she's been bullied um and she's doesn't truly know who she is she's adopted so she doesn't really truly know who she is and she's got these abilities she's an empath like a true empath she can truly feel people's emotions and in certain situations they can be very overwhelming for her and she reacts to them in certain ways and when they manifest and people see it they think that she's you know they call her crazy Cassie. um so that was that's kind of the first layer of of her background Um, And then one night she is laying pretty much near death and she's visited by the angel of death who offers her um, some salvation, offers her a chance to become a reaper, um, to usher souls into the afterlife. It gives her, can give her some power um, and it can give her a life beyond what she's living. And, you know, she's a 16 year old girl. She's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, Eventually she determines that um, it was not the best decision to make. Um knows against the angel of death, and she thought that she killed him. And death's legacy, the bulk of it takes place twenty years after her battle with him, when she thought that she had killed him. Um, she did not, in fact, kill him. He is back. he's regenerating. and he's he's out for blood. he He wants to um, he wants her to pay for her misdeeds. And um, ultimately, he wants to absorb her power because he wants to ascend. And move from becoming the angel of death to the actual god of death. Mm. So the the story is the struggle of her um, trying to keep him from doing that, but also reconciling with who she is. Um, you know, she's not just a PI with a problem with alcohol. Uh, she's addicted to alcohol and Vicodin, uh, much like her her creator. She loves bourbon, um, <laughs> <laughs> so she's she's a bit of a bourbon snob. Um, but she's also addicted to pills and she does that because it helps deaden her her empathic abilities. Um, So it's, it's a way for her to cope. And so she's trying to navigate that, trying to navigate the fact that she's a reaper down. She's got to fight this guy and she's got to hopefully save the world and become okay with, with who
0: she is. That, that sounds amazing. And like I said, I've been hearing about it for the last uh, like two years now, almost three years. Uh, hearing all about like oh yeah Death's Legacy Death's Legacy Dennis Crosby and <laughs> and uh, you know, all this all that kind of stuff and then of course the sequel Death Debt when it came out and how yeah. it uh, it uh, took over really well as as well and uh, yeah I'm just that's awesome man I'm I'm really happy for you that uh, that this all uh, took off and really validated all the hard work you've put into your uh, to your writing.
1: That's exactly what it is too. It's it's like it's wonderful winning awards but when you win those. It is that validation, right? It's because, you know, we, we have a lot of imposter syndrome, too, as writers. You know, we're, we're, we write this stuff. And we're like, who do we think we are to, to put this on pages and, and think that somebody's going to want to read it? Right. Uh, and so when you get those great reviews or when you, you know, win an award or when it's recognized in some way, um, it does let you know that, yeah, you're, you're on to something. You're, you're doing the right thing. You're reaching people. You're able to, to connect with people in a way that um, is, is, is special you know, through, through words and through creating this world that people enjoy getting lost in. Um, and it, yeah, it, that's, that's the part for me, getting emails from people, um, people who message me on, on Instagram or through, through Facebook a lot. And just, um, I've, I've received some comments and some, some accolades on, you know, the treatment of my character, um, the way that I don't trivialize, you know, her, her addiction or I don't trivialize her sexuality. Um, if nothing's gratuitous, um, I really take great care to make sure that there's, there's a lot of
0: realness, you know, in this story with, with the people that are in it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's fantastic, man. I, it's been on my list for quite a while now to, uh, to pick up, I'm going to have to bite the bullet and go ahead and grab a copy of it so I can follow up and then be like everybody else, waiting on book three <laughs> coming up here in a few months. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, book three, uh, Death's Despair. So, Death's Legacies first, Death's Debt, and then Death's Despair um, is book three. And I I ended book two with um, like a four part epilogue. Um, I love cliffhangers. I, mm-hmm. I missed those shows like from the 80s where there was. If something would happen in an accredited role and you had to wait like a week in order to send that. <laughs> yep. Um so I'm notorious for doing that in in these books. And I did that in book two. And some people were mad. <laughs> some were like, oh my God. So when's the next book? I like next week. I'm like, not nah, quite. Um, so yeah, book three is coming out, Death's Despair. And then of course, you know, there's there's a few uh cliffhangers in that one too. That one ends in a way that's um People might be mad again because they have to wait for the next one to come out, <laughs> um, but it's fun. It's, it's just, it's, it's fun to kind of keep that going and uh, get people salivating and waiting for the next, the next one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The tease. The tease is- I, I, I agree. I, I like that as well. My my first two books are standalones, but I do have a little tease that, you know, I, I could follow that string of thread down the road and yeah. see, like I I felt good ending it where I did but uh, there's always a possibility that absolutely. there may be something more you never know absolutely so, and then the current series i'm writing definitely i have a tease at the end of each one leading into the next book of of what uh, my character will be facing and and uh, it, <laughs> i'm kind of in the same boat it's like yeah i just just got to get the next one out <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I yeah I, like I said I struggled with it I, I injured my my leg in uh, summer of 2021 mm-hmm. so I just finished book two it was coming out later that that year and I was going to start writing book three but the injury really just kind of took me out of it for a while mm-hmm. and um, like I said it took me a while to just kind of get the mojo back but what helped was you know reading other books yeah. and watching other shows um, you know my my I'm, I'm heavily influenced by like like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural and, you know, shows like that. And I watched a lot of that. It, that kind of helped get some of the juices flowing again too, um, mm-hmm. living in that world again. And, um, you know, it kind of helped help push me to get
0: me back to the, to the keyboard. That's fantastic. Well, where can, uh, where can people find and follow you to, uh, to learn more and to uh, know when, uh, when this next book is available?
1: Yeah, the best place to catch me. Um, if you go to my website, um DennisKcrosby.com, um, it'll have links to all my social media. Um, I'm really, really heavy on Instagram and Facebook. Um, those are, I tend to post the most. Um, I do have Twitter as well, um, but Instagram and Facebook are probably the big things. But you can find those links on my website, um, DennisKcrosby.com. And it's also got links, purchase links for my books. So both of these books, Death um, Legacy, Death Debt, and then I've I've been in seven anthologies now over the last couple of years, uh, mostly in in horror. Um, but I've got some short stories and a few anthologies that are they're fun reads. Um, uh, you know, my one of my first short stories is actually a a horror homage to Sanford and Son. And so oh, if nice. You were, if you were a fan of that show, now imagine that junkyard that that Fred Lamont worked at being the site of a hell mouth and their job is not to collect junk, but to make sure that demons don't get out. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. That was a fun one to write. So um, yeah, if you're interested in stuff like that, check out my website. You can go to those um, to my books tab and it'll have
0: links to, to the, the uh, purchase sites for the books, my novels and my short stories. Outstanding. And of course, everybody, we're going to have links for that in the show notes. So while you're listening or when you're done listening, you can just click that link at the bottom, whether you're on your phone or tablet or or desktop, whatever you're listening to. You can click that link and get right over there to follow Dennis and grab these books and and uh, be uh, anxiously waiting like the rest of us for the uh, for the next one in the deaths series. Dennis, man, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a blast. I, I knew I'd have a good time talking to you and I was not let down.
1: <laughs> it was fun man i appreciate i appreciate you reaching out truly um i you know i i love connecting um with with writers and readers um i love talking about the craft and and just kind of what gets the creative juices flowing um it's a blast it's a great way to to start the day so thanks for having me on it's
0: my pleasure thanks. man yeah i i agree with you I and mean, I, I love this as well and it's that's one of the things i love about doing this show is getting to meet uh, lots of authors like yourself and uh hear different angles on it and uh, just kind of discovering something new every single time. For sure, for sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my writer's block coffee and uh, perhaps a cigar and uh, (laughs) hand the floor over to my guest, Dennis K. Crosby, with a sample chapter of Death's Legacy.
1: All right. I'm going to start off with, I'm going to throw you guys
0: kind of right into the middle
1: of things so you can kind of get a sense of what Cassie's about. We are reading chapter 15 of Death's Legacy, the first Cassidy Simmons adventure. Cassidy walked through the back door into the alleyway behind Tully's. She saw no wraith. Had it simply been trying to get her attention, did he even know she was there. She continued on, stretching out with her senses for any sign of the operation, for any sign of anything. She felt nothing, which was odd. Strangely, she didn't even sense anyone inside of Tully's. Considering the new rain she'd experienced earlier in the day at the hospital, something seemed off again. As she headed farther into the alley, she was startled by the rush of wind that emanated from the business next door. Within that gust of wind, a dark vapor appeared, a swirl of dread and malevolence. It settled in the space in front of her, no more than 10 feet away. Cassidy remained motionless as the vapor took form. Ethan. He stood there smiling again as if he had no cares in the world. As a wraith, he really didn't. As part of Azrael's so-called guard, he wanted for nothing. No reaper did, but wraiths were the really special ones, the elite, the in-crowd. It was just another reason to hate them even more. I know you're here, Cassidy. Why not show yourself? I'll be good if you will, he said. Cassidy's lip curled up in a slight snarl. The whole day was fucked beyond imagination. She gave in to her anger. She wanted answers and she wouldn't get them hiding. Maybe this asshole would give her some information. It was unlikely, but she was angry enough to step out of the darkness, if only for a moment. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. When she opened them, they were silver. A dim light pulsed from her body. Ethan turned his head and stared directly in her eyes. Well now, he said. What are you doing here, Ethan? Cassidy asked. Nice to see you, too. My goodness, your manners have vanished over the years, I see. Cassie rolled her eyes. Why are you here, she asked through gritted teeth. Holding his hands up as if surrendering, Ethan replied, I'm just here to do my job. No more, no less. Really? And exactly what job would that be? You're a wraith. So are you here to escort a soul? Or are you here to police some rogue reaper as part of Azrael's private guard? lots of questions. Odd, considering you don't want to be part of our family anymore. You did leave us after all. Family? Is that what you call it? Cassie laughed at the notion. She paced, folding her arms across her chest to keep her fists from clenching. If you'd bothered to stick around, you'd see that's precisely what we are. Still are, actually. Ethan put his hands into the pockets of his tailored suit pants. He was the epitome of a gentleman. If only he weren't such a scourge why are all the pretty ones such clueless assholes? Let's pretend you didn't just say that and get back to answering the question about why you're here. Touched a nerve, eh? Is it because you realized in hindsight that you were part of a family and you broke some serious trust when you tried to kill the head of said family? Ethan's smile turned to a sinister sneer. He removed his hands from his pockets and his posture was much less casual. Would he attack her? I left because Azrael was not who I thought he was. Everything he told me was a lie. He was using me, using all of us. I left to be alone. To be alone? Oh, my dear Cassidy, in this life, this existence, you can never be. A door crashed open behind Ethan, cutting him off. Cassidy glanced beyond Ethan as an older man stumbled out of a building next to Tully's. He appeared to be in his late 50s, balding on top with gray on the sides, generously proportioned around the midsection. There was nothing remarkable about the man, except for the knife sticking out of his chest. As the man fell to the ground, Cassidy glanced from him to Ethan. Ethan's grin had returned, and he shrugged. In an instant, his eyes turned deep black. Before she knew what was happening, Cassidy threw a punch. Ethan expertly moved to the side to avoid the blow, and moved again just as fast to avoid the follow-up swing Cassidy threw with her other fist. Ethan backed up and moved into the defensive stance, preparing for Cassie's attack. Getting upset over this guy is really a waste of time, young pup, Ethan said. Honestly, he's just one of many. In fact, his is the last soul we need, though I hear the Primus is stretching his legs tonight. Perhaps this poor Basher's soul is inconsequential after all. Nevertheless, I took a paramedic earlier. Someone else took a former Marine. Let me finish with this one, and I'll be on my way. Otherwise, we'll just take someone else, just to be certain. Cassidy wanted to scream. Despite their power, Reapers were trained to fight. As supernatural creatures, they had some instinct to move quickly, not necessarily gracefully, but certainly with some preternatural speed. But over the centuries, turmoil in the Reaper ranks and challenges from other supernatural beings, including gods, made it necessary to adopt a more warrior-friendly mindset. With their powers, race were better fighters. Since she'd beaten a wraith once long ago before she even knew what they were. But that wraith was not Ethan. Cassie lunged at him again, throwing punch after punch. Ethan blocked most, but a few connected, giving her some semblance of satisfaction. She dodged and blocked his punches and kicks, mostly successfully. Ethan caught her with a kick to the gut, followed by an uppercut that sent her to the ground. He stood over her, rage building, eyes dark with emptiness of the abyss. You should be wise to go away, young pup. She hated when he called her that. When she'd become a reaper, back when Azrael had uncharacteristically taken her under his wing, Ethan had taken to calling her that. He thought he was being cute, and back then, he was. Hell, he was still cute, but her disgust with him and the reaper order far outweighed any schoolgirl crush she'd once had. Cassie pushed past her frustration, concentrated, and in an instant, she was vapor. She reformed behind him and threw a punch, which he'd anticipated, easily blocking it. But he had not prepared for the scythe, which had also formed in place of her hand that entered his stomach. Cassie stepped back, pulled the scythe from him, spun and slashed it across his throat. Ethan dropped to his knees, clutched his throat and smirked. Welcome back, he managed to get out. He was only wounded. If she wanted to dispatch him for good, she would have to remove his life force the way a reaper would with a human. But she didn't have that kind of power. Sure, she once bested a wraith, though in hindsight she had no idea how. She even bested the Angel of Death, but that was with the aid of Black Onyx daggers, which she did not currently have on her. In the end, she was only a reaper, and that was as much a reason for his smirk as anything else. He knew she couldn't beat him, not fully. He'd heal quickly and he'd be back doing despicable things like whatever he'd done to that man dying in the alleyway. The race were unchecked without Asriel in power. They were killing people at their leisure, collecting souls for God only knew what. Perhaps for their own power, perhaps as a source to help Asriel heal. The thought of it, all of it only angered Cassidy more. One sound caused her blood to boil over though, the sound of Ethan chuckling. Her anger turned to fury. In his eyes, she saw joy. In his eyes, she saw the promise of further death and mayhem. In his eyes, she saw the reflection of her own, darkening. Where they had once been silver, they were now dubious shadow of light. Her cold black eyes startled her and Ethan. A wave of power filled her, intense, ancient, new. Within seconds, her hand phased through his chest, and she pulled it back. The glowing purple orb that was his life force, his power, pulsated in her hand. Impossible, he said. It should have been. Cassie was only a reaper, right? She ingested the orb and with his life force and power gone, sliced through Ethan's throat once more with her scythe. His eyes went wide, then sank in. His skin became dry, wrinkled and brittle. His hair changed from blonde to gray to white and receded from his scalp. Teeth fell from bleeding gums and his skin tightened. His skeletal frame fighting for dominance and winning. The wraith that had been Ethan was now a hairless, dry-skinned skeleton that decayed until bones cracked and skin flaked off, before finally dispersing into a cloud of black dust. Cassie stared at the empty space, then down at her right hand, or what should have been her right hand. The curved onyx blade dematerialized into vapor, then reformed into five digits. The sound of the man on the ground behind her shocked her into the present. Cassie ran back to him and knelt to examine the wound. There was no way to save him. The knife buried deep in his chest had penetrated his heart. He'd be dead in minutes, less than a minute if she removed it. Through her reaper eyes, she saw a faint red glow around him. Death was near. If she escorted his soul, her warding would be gone. Reapers and race would know where she was. She could walk away, let another reaper take him, perhaps bind herself another day or two of relative freedom. Cassidy stood, scanned the area, then walked away. I don't want this. I don't need this. I just want to be left alone. Fear stopped her in her tracks, not her own fear, but the fear oozing from the wounded man behind her. With every breath, he was losing life, losing hope and bathed in the fear of pain of the unknown. She wanted to leave, but she knew that pain. She wished that on an enemy, but not a stranger, not an innocent. Cassidy closed her eyes and focused, and when she reopened them, she found herself in the gray tinted world of the Nexus. She dashed back to the body. The man was motionless, yet his eyes had still been on her. Cassie stretched out her hand and he grabbed it. Only it wasn't him, it was his spirit, his soul. His body remained on the ground, but his soul was in the beyond. He stood and looked around, confused, scared. Cassie placed a hand on his chest and smiled lightly at him. Be at peace was all she said. A blue light surrounded him and in an instant he was gone. Cassidy felt some relief that he'd gone to the beyond and not to the void. She didn't know him. She'd never known any of the souls she'd reaped. But for some reason, knowing that he was truly in a better place helped ease her guilt. Somehow this was her fault. Had she truly killed Azrael all those years ago, perhaps she wouldn't be hunted now. If the race had not been after her, if her growing power hadn't been calling to them, perhaps this man would not be dead. He'd have a wife, children. Question after question bombarded her. Cassie sank down to the ground. All she wanted to do was live. It's all she ever wanted. No, that wasn't true. There was a time when she would have been happy to die. In many ways, she felt like that again. Like that 16 year old girl who lay on the damp ground of Potter's Field near death. Like the girl that Azrael found and changed forever. Wisps of fog swirled around her as it always did in this place. She sat, she wept, and then she vanished.
0: And there you go. That was Dennis K. Crosby reading a sample chapter from the first book in his series, Death's Legacy. And uh, oh my gosh, that was just amazing. I I can't wait to dive into it myself. I'm going to be picking that up and uh, I can't wait to see what comes next. Hey, make sure you click that link in the show notes for Dennis and uh, get that free story that he was talking about during the interview. Don't forget to also hop on over to our links for Writer's Block Coffee and Pop Goes to Culture. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next time when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and an all new sample chapter. Take care, everybody. See you next time.